Our scripture passage for this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, as we read verses 24 through 29. Hear now the word of God. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there is a strong temptation for us to listen to your word today. And instantly assume this is a passage where we are the wise person and other people are the fools. Would you make us open to hearing you say to us hard words? Maybe even to hear you say to us, you are the man, you are the fool, you need to repent. Make us open and willing to have you tell us this, O God. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My brother is studying physical natural sciences at Oregon State University. I went to go see him this last weekend in Corvallis, and we were hanging out. uh, And he paused at one point. This was a couple months ago that he said this to me, so it's a different time than last week. But a few months ago, we were hanging out, and he, he just brought up out of the middle of nowhere something that he assumed I ought to know as somebody who's sort of newly living in Oregon. I've been here now two years. And he said, you know about the Cascadia subduction zone, right? As though that's something they tell us about when we move to the state of Oregon. Uh, I don't usually ask for a show of hands. How many of you know what that is? Okay, see, it's like they hand it out, like half of you in here know about it. It's like they tell everybody, and then they didn't tell me. They wait till you buy a house here, then they tell you. (laughs) And uh, so he proceeded to school me on how this place where we live has been building toward a rather large earthquake, the likes of which we haven't seen since about 1700. Uh, I will spare you the anxiety-producing details, but even if mentioning this makes you feel anxious, go to the website two weeks ago. We had a sermon on this, okay? Um, But needless to say... Uh, after my conversation, I thought, well, I should know what he's talking about. And so I did my homework and I started to learn I should make sure my house is bolted down to its foundation, apparently. Um, if you could imagine, basically, if you sat something on uh, land and there was an earthquake, it would just start bouncing up in the air. And that's what would happen to a house, apparently. So I started to study this, and I was very grateful to learn that apparently in Oregon after 1970, supposedly all the houses are bolted down to their foundation. And so hopefully if the big one comes, we might have all kinds of problems, but we won't have bouncing houses. And I guess it got me genuinely thinking. Uh, It it really was, coincidentally, the week I started working on this sermon, 
that I was thinking about that. And I thought, well, thank you, Lord, for my, my paranoid brother. You know, what a great sermon illustration, right? It, it got me thinking about the foundation of my house. It got me thinking about what my house is built on. Uh, it made me sort of want to crawl underneath and just take a peek. Um, we live in this safety-obsessed culture, right? Health and safety are the magic words of our day. There's this an obsession that I think is, is, is new. Even, even 100 years ago, people were perhaps concerned about their health, but not obsessed. And, and yet here's what's so crazy. People obsess over their health today, and they ignore their deepest, most profound needs. And, and I'm speaking specifically of what Jesus is talking about in this passage, because Jesus is not saying, hey, everybody needs to go out and make sure that they're building their houses well. Jesus is not giving a sermon here on construction practices in the first century. He's, he's talking about spiritual foundations, the thing upon which everything we do in our life is founded. And it's funny, we live in this society of beautiful houses that aren't bolted down to any kind of foundation. It's what he's kind of saying to us today, and it's still a problem. It was a problem in the first century. It's a problem here in the 21st century. You think about the, the foundation of a house, perhaps. Do you think about the foundation of your life? What's really holding all of this down when the big one comes for you? And I can guarantee you this. If you make anything other than God, anything other than Christ, the foundation of your life, it is going to be shaken. And when it is shaken, it will be shaken into the dust that it is. And, and, and your life will be shaken off of its rickety foundation that you put so much trust in. Jesus is concerned today. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about what's going to happen when the trials come, when the troubles come. And he's concerned that you won't be able to stand up under the weight of those trials. Uh, remember last week's passage. What was Jesus doing? He was pushing us to really follow him and not to perform, right? He was saying to us, actually follow me. Don't pretend to follow me. Don't act like someone who follows me. Don't go through the motions. He was saying, actually follow me. Don't make a false profession of faith. Stop trying to convince the people around you that you know me and actually know me. And it actually leads into what he says today. So again, as is so common, I, I, need, I feel like I need to remind you this week's message is not something that's totally separate from what happened last week. What a brilliant ringtone. Uh, comedians uh, apparently handle hecklers and cell phones the same way. They have to make fun of them. So I'm not a comedian, but I have to pretend to be sometimes. Um, so, <laughs> um, so my point, though, is that, is that we need to make sure that we don't think last week was that message and this week is this message. Um, this week's message is following on that. Last week, he's warning us, don't make a false profession. This week, he's saying, hey, look, if you make that false profession, if that's you, if you're a false believer, you need to know that your house is on the shaky ground. You need to actually be warned about that. Uh, because his whole point here has been to push us away from hypocrisy and toward genuine Christian faith. Jesus has been setting the stark choice before us. Do we live going through the narrow gate or going through the wide, easy gate, the way that leads to death. And he's challenging us, follow the way that leads to life. And he's showing us what the way of life is illustrated like. And so he gives us these, this different illustration, the illustration of the house and the foundation. Uh, so first, let's look at a life on the rocks. 
It's a little backwards. We're going to look at the negative illustration first and then the positive illustration. Um, the, the life on the rocks is the life of the foolish person. It's the person who doesn't listen to Jesus, who listens to Jesus, but doesn't do what Jesus says. And then second, let's look at life on the rock. This is the life of the wise person, the person who takes Jesus' words to heart and lives them out. So let's consider a life on the rocks first. This is, this is the person who's the false believer. And even as we're listening, even as we're thinking about the false believer, ask God to show you your own heart. So here's what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So here's Jesus is. He's talking about this man. He, he calls this man foolish. And I think you're going to enjoy this. The Greek word here is the Greek word for, and for, for fool, but no joke if you just looked in a, a Greek New Testament, and you just looked at the word and said the word out loud, the word is moron. I feel like this is a missed opportunity. No New Testament translations call him a moron, but Jesus does. Now, I'm not going to keep saying moron throughout the sermon, because I feel like it would be like flippant, but I wish my ESV said moron there, just for the record. But he says, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like a moron who built his house on the sand. Do you want to avoid being the moron? I think Jesus assumes you want to avoid being moron. Jesus is doing something really precious here. He's giving us wisdom to avoid seeing our life destroyed like this man's house when the rains come and when the storms come. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones points something interesting out. In, in this story, he talks about these two men, and he points out that if you look at their houses, if you were to take their houses and set them side by side. Everything about their houses is the same. Like the only thing Jesus points out at all that is different between these two houses is what they're built on. So if you were to walk up and you were to look at both of them, at least in theory, you would walk through houses that with the same layout, they'd have the same beautiful structure. They want the same things. The owners of these houses want the same things. They want happiness, probably. They want rest. They want all of the same things. But he points out that by all appearances, the, the, the moron and the wise man seem the same. The difference uh, between them is subtle. The, the difference between them is not something that anyone would just immediately see. The point here is for us to know what the fool is like so that we can be warned by what the fool is like, right? We, we need to be able to see that about ourselves. Jesus is telling the story because he doesn't want us to be the foolish man. But how can we know? How can we tell? Well, the, the answer according to Jesus, the foolish man hears Jesus' words. He is, he's exposed to Jesus' teaching. Um, he knows what pleases Jesus, um, what he's said before. He's heard him preach. He's heard his, his sermons. Um, to, to put it in the modern context, he's somebody who's sat under the preaching. He's somebody who's been exposed to the, the reading of the, of the word of God. But Jesus says, the fool does something different. He does not do the words of Jesus. He doesn't do them. So in other words, the fool, the, the false believer, if you were to dig down... Below the surface, you would find the substance of the wise man, the substance of someone who believes in Jesus, 
just isn't there. Everything else looks the same, but faith in Christ is gone. So this is someone who lives as a, uh, as a professing believer, right? Doesn't actually follow Jesus, though. Someone who's, who's religious, but not a disciple. I want to give you some characteristics of the person Jesus is talking about here. Uh, and as we look at these, please do something. Don't think about the, uh, the potential hypocrites in your life. Uh, don't think about the obvious people in your life that you think, yeah, you know, I've got some people that I know that need to hear this, right? But don't think about your brother or your sister or your parents or your best friend. Think about yourself right now. So yeah, you've got hypocrites in your life. If we were to go around the room and do another hand raising and say, hey, do you have hypocrites in your life? I think all the hands would go up. Um, so we're not, we're not on a hypocrite hunt this morning. What we need to do is ask God to talk to us about ourselves. So take the warning for yourself, not for someone else. Let's say you hear what we're about to look at and you conclude, yep, my cousin's definitely a hypocrite. All well and good. What are you going to do about that? What can you do about that? I'm going to suggest that Jesus speaks to each of us because we are responsible and accountable for the state of our own heart. So let's listen on our own behalf today. What are some characteristics of the fool, someone who's a false believer? Um, one characteristic is that he rushes into spiritual things without careful consideration. Um, I mean, this house was built in a rush. This is a house where the foundation takes a long time to lay, and this is a person who's too hur- too, in too much of a hurry to do that. Uh, you see in Luke 14, 28, Jesus talks about this problem, this problem of people rushing into spiritual things without really caring about them, without really thinking about them. Um, he illustrates this with a construction project gone bad. I'm guessing in a room this size, somebody has had a construction project go bad uh, somewhere along the way. Um, in this case, Jesus is saying, hey, this is a person who starts building, they get the construction going, they, they put all this work into it, everything's going, and then they run out of money before they're able to finish building, right? Why? Because this person was impatient and they wanted that tower to get started and they wanted to get going right away and then they don't have what it takes to finish. You know, he's impatient, right? He says, I've got to have this house right now. I can't wait. And so if you're in a hurry, what do you do? You dispense with some of the, the red tape. You dispense with some of the things that you might uh, normally do. You might avoid people's advice, right? Instead of talking to other people and learning the, what they've learned about the, the topic or the subject, you just jump right in. Uh, you try to find the, find the quickest way to get what you want. So whatever the foolish person wants... He sees instruction as something that will slow him down, something that's going to get in the way, and probably even sees it as something that he he doesn't need. Uh, James talks about the foolish person as someone who hears from God then immediately forgets it, right? He says he's like a person who looks at his face in a mirror and then immediately forgets what his own face looks like. Um, The foolish person doesn't have time to reflect. He doesn't have time... To consider. He doesn't have time to learn. He doesn't have time to be instructed. Why? Because the foolish heart doesn't need anyone else or for God to speak to him. He's wise. He knows what he's doing. Why do I need to take the time to talk to others, to be instructed, to get advice? A lot of Christians are, are hard to teach. They're unteachable, right? They're, they, they, would, they would quicker criticize a message than listen to what it's actually saying. Um, what does Proverbs 15, say? It says, without counsel, plans fail, 
but with many advisors, they succeed. Right? The wise person is somebody that takes time to listen, takes time to be instructed, takes time to be, to be taught. Somebody who's ready to hear God speak and, and to be instructed by God and who's willing to say, Lord, I don't know. I need you to talk to me. So that means listening to sermons, right? It means, it means sitting under the preaching of the word. Uh, a fool hears the word preached, but instead of listening to the, the, the message and instead of listening to the sermon, he, he inwardly criticizes. He inwardly hears the sermon that, that he would have preached instead. I would have said this. I would have said that. That's not a, that's not a teachable person. That's somebody who's a fool. That's a, that's a person who won't listen to instruction. Um, a smart fool right? A smart fool, like a wise man, smart as he may be, is eager to, should be eager to hear God speak wherever his word is heard. Um, being teachable, being, and listening to the word means spending time in Bible studies. It means spending time hearing from God. It means thinking to yourself, I don't have what it takes today. How is God going to help me? How is God going to teach me? How am I going to get what I need this week? Because I know one thing, it's not in here. I need God to come to me and show me. Are you teachable? Are you ready? Learn from the foolish person. The foolish person isn't ready for instruction. In fact, he would rather just build the thing and then think about things later. He thinks that he's so wise. He thinks that he's so smart. He won't listen to anybody else. Here's another. Uh, The foolish person whose life is on the rocks will seem sound. He'll seem sound. Uh, he, he or she may praise a message like a sermon on the mount, but they, they don't put it into practice, right? They'll, they'll have the outward veneer of belief. Uh, here's the thing. Whenever God speaks, his people listen. But if somebody's not one of God's people, what's going to happen? The scripture's going to seem like silliness. It's going to seem, maybe it'll seem boring. Sometimes sermons can be delivered in a boring way, but sometimes the heart ignores even the most engaging message. And it's because the heart is far from God, right? But for a false believer, what happens? The message of God's word gets brought, and what happens? There's resentment. I don't like this message. I don't like what this is saying about me. Uh, I don't like what, what, what is being conveyed about my soul. I want to hear how good I am. I want to hear how, how encouraged I should be about me. Uh, I want to hear that I'm enough. I want to hear that there's something good about me. Tell me the great things about me. And, and a Christian message is going to say, let me tell you great things about Jesus, Let me tell you great things about God. Find your encouragement there, right? We don't worry about self-esteem. We worry about Christ's esteem, right? All of our esteem is bound up in Jesus. And how how often, though, have we uh, met people who think the message of Christianity is constricting and unpleasant and condemning? How often have you met people, I, I suspect you have, who have fooled themselves into thinking that biblical Christianity is a cage, or that it's a straitjacket. And, and all the while, you, 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 you have, you're trying to find ways to show them, no, it's the key to freedom. It's, it's the way to true freedom. And they just don't see it. And so they say, no, all I see is a cage here. Do you know why James says that the fool looks at God's word and instantly forgets it? It's because he doesn't want to remember what he saw. It's too hard. Because even as scripture gives us a, a message of freedom, in order for us, for us to hear that message of freedom... We've got to hear that we're enslaved first, right? If you don't know you're enslaved, then there's no freedom. There's no need for freedom. Why would a person who is free 
need to be set free. And people need to be shown that they're not. They need to be shown that they're enslaved. They need to be shown what sin is doing to them and what avoiding Christ has been, the sort of trouble it's been wreaking on their souls. Um, The scripture says things that are going to hurt your pride. When you read the Bible, you should simultaneously come away more hopeful because of Jesus, but also before you can be hopeful, you have to see the truth about yourself so that the, the joy that you find is not in you, but it's in Jesus, right? And so Scripture is going to hurt your pride. It's going to hurt your sense of self. It's going to hurt your goals. It's going to hurt the ideas that you've built up about you and what your life is supposed to be. And then God's going to build up and show you the truth instead. And so what that does is it makes the Bible a deeply offensive book with a message that doesn't reinforce what someone is looking for if they aren't born again. So if someone comes to the Bible and says, show me the money, show me the thing that I really want most in life, the Bible's going to disappoint because the Bible's not there to do that for you. Um, The fool Jesus is talking about, whose house is built on the sand, is someone who's short-sighted, someone who wouldn't even consider that that he or she is not a good guide for their own life. So, so he, he doesn't face hard things in Scripture. He doesn't subject himself to the hard teachings of Jesus when they affect him. Uh, Lloyd-Jones says it like this. He says he just picks out what he wants and likes and ignores the rest. That's what the fool does, right? Um, which it seems to work for in the short term. In the short term, if you decide to sort of avoid the warning signs, avoid hard things, ignore hard messages... Uh, if you're building a house and one of, the, one of the workers comes to you and says, hey, we just got a girder in and there's a giant crack through it. You know, in the short term, you can just say, you know what? That makes me hurt to hear you say that. Please ignore the crack in the girder and put it up. Go ahead and put it up, right? If someone did that, they would be a fool, And yet I think a lot of times when we hear God's word say hard things to us, we're like the person who knows that there is a fundamental problem here. And we say, look, I'm going to ignore it because it makes my heart hurt to hear bad things. And so we ignore it. And that's what a lot of people do. They they, they take what they like from the word, then they ignore the other stuff, and then they wonder, why is my life crumbling? Well, the fool doesn't want to hear God's word honestly. This is something that happens so often, right? Uh, is that you? Would you look at your own heart? Would you be willing to ask that hard question? Am I eager to hear God say difficult things to me? Do, do, I, do I come to church hoping that God will give me a, a, a knock upside the head if that's what I need? Right? Do, we, do we hope that from, from God? Um, are we eager to hear God say difficult things to us? How do you react when you hear a sermon application that that feels like they're talking about you? Um, By the way, I don't do sermon applications pointed at a single person. That's called being passive aggressive. Uh, Now, I'm not. It's not that I'm incapable of being passive aggressive, but I could just come talk to you and then preach a sermon that everyone else needs to hear too. Um, So, if you feel like you're being pressed and pressed by a sermon or something's being said directly to you, it could simply be that God actually is speaking to you. When I hear God's word pressed on me, what do I do? Do I get defensive? Do I start making excuses for why, well, this isn't really about me? Do I take steps to protect myself so that I can still keep my self-esteem and still feel good? I think it may seem weird for the, for, but, but for the believer, when you feel convicted, for a believer, there's a strange sense of relief that comes. There's something, 
there is something that comes with that moment of surrender um, that, should, that should really come with what God's word says. So where we go, yes, Lord, it's true. Now that I see it, change my heart. There's something relieving about God actually showing you what you're like. That is how a, a Christian receives correction. Here's what happens, though. A fool hears it, forgets it, deflects it, defends it away, does something, tries their best to make sure that, well, that message is for everyone else. I'm awesome. I'm great. Uh, all these other sinners in the room need to hear it, but, but not me. But let's, let's really get down to it. This fool that Jesus is talking about, ultimately this person is asking, these, that, that is asking these things, looking at things this way, because they're not searching for God at all. Right? A fool isn't searching for God and doesn't want God. They, they already know what they're looking for. They're searching for their own pleasure, their own comfort, their own ease, their own personal happiness, life that can be lived their way. They, they certainly don't see the doctrines of the Bible as something that's going to help them get there. So many people want God's blessings. They don't want God. Right? They don't want to love God. They, they do love his gifts. Why have you come to God? foolish person wants things that look religious. The, the foolish person living on the rocks wants to go to heaven, but they don't care whether God is there, right? They're hoping everyone else that they knew in life is there. They hope that their dog is there. They hope that all these other people are in heaven. They hope they get to meet Abraham, Lincoln, and, and all these other people. But if you told them, hey, you get all of that, but God won't be in heaven, how would you respond? And for many people who are very much looking forward to heaven, they would say, that's fine. They would say, that's fine. As long as I've got lots of interesting people to meet there, I'll be good. See, people want God for his gifts. They do not want him. The fool loves the gifts, not the giver. He, he wants the benefits, not the benefactor. He's like a man who considers marrying a woman because she's a good cook, and he wants good meals for the rest of his life, but not because he actually wants to live with her and spend time with her. Right? Could you imagine... Um, as a woman or as a husband, if your spouse just wanted you for your benefits, but not because of you. That's what, that's what it's like when people come to God and say, hey, give me all the great things that I think I'm supposed to get. Give me a sense of satisfaction. Give me a sense of self. Give me, give me a sense that, uh, of purpose. And, uh, and, and I don't really need to know you. Right? That's no way to build a life. Here's, here's what Jesus wants you to know. You need to be willing to take an honest look at whether you are this foolish man or woman or not. And I can't say something that's going to make you see it. It is your job to pray and ask God to expose things in your heart that you might be fooling yourself about. That's why he's telling the story in the first place. He's, he's telling these stories. He's giving these warnings. He is, he is doing his best to get you to see inside of your own heart and ask yourself the hard questions. He is challenging you to self-examination. Um, the life that was built on sand, it, it crumbles when the least resistance comes against it. The wind blows and it falls down. Wouldn't you want to know if the big one is coming and your house wasn't bolted down to the foundation? How many of you are thinking about your foundations right now going, I need to make sure my house is bolted down to the foundation? I bet your physical house, but also your soul. Right? This, is, this is an opportunity Jesus is giving today. It's not too late. The big one hasn't come. There's still time to act. Today is the day of salvation. And this takes us to the second point, which is 
actually even more important than the first. It's, it's all well and good for us to see signs that we are the fool. But what we really need is a positive understanding of what Jesus calls for. And so this is, this is point two. It's a life on the rock. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So Jesus says the wise man does two things. First, he says he hears the words of Jesus, and second, he says he does them. Right? You hear the words, and you do the words. Now, Let's be clear what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not calling for sinlessness, right? When he says to do his words, he expects all of his listeners to sin, right? This, this whole Sermon on the Mount has been about seeing our own sin, about being poor in spirit, about being, being people who aren't rich in spirit. Jesus is also not saying that the wise person is someone who's, who's a good person and because he's a good person has peace with God. Jesus isn't calling for justification by works. He's not saying that we must be able to bring our good works before God and show him how good we are so that we can have peace with him. Again, the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount has been for us to recognize that we are not God and that we do fall short and that Jesus loves us too much to leave us that way. That's what Jesus has been doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So when Jesus says that the, that the wise person does what Jesus says, he's not demanding perfection. He's not teaching justification by works. What he's doing is far simpler than that. Jesus is talking about the same thing James talks about when he says faith without works is dead. If we don't put our faith into practice, then we realize that our faith is non-existent. So our works, our obedience, our good deeds are the expression of a heart that has or has not been changed, right? What we do reflects what God has done in us. And Jesus is saying, of course, are you living out the life that I've been preaching to you in this sermon, right? When you sin, do you repent? When you do wrong, do you admit it? When you fall short, do you ask God to forgive and change you? Are you a believer in Christ? And do you live as a believer in Christ? These are the, the fundamental questions related to Jesus' words. Do you hear the word? You, you hear the words, but are you doing the words? Are you living out this sermon? Jesus is saying a wise man is someone who is living a life of genuine discipleship, right? So if this guy is the opposite of the hypocrite, if this guy's the opposite of the fool, what does that actually look like? Well, for starters, the wise man is different from the fool because he wants to hear from God, even if God is not out to flatter him, which he isn't. But the wise man hears the truth about God he hears the truth about himself or herself, and, and what do they do? They submit to the whole counsel of God, and they don't avoid uncomfortable truths when they arise. Um, listen to Lloyd-Jones again. He says, The man who never knows what it is to have certain fears about himself, fears which drive him to Christ, is in a highly dangerous condition. All right, if you've ever thought about yourself, thought about your own heart, thought about your soul, and liked what you've seen there, then he says, you are in a dangerous place. You need to see your own heart for what it really is, right? The things that drive us to Jesus are often, in fact, I almost want to universally say always, the things that we do not like that we see 
when we look in here. Like that's, that's, on, that's on purpose. That's by design. Right? I, I don't know about you, but when I see something in God's words that gets God's word that gets at something in my life, I tend to love it and hate it all at once. I, I tend to love it and hate it. When I read the Ten Commandments, I love and hate what I see. Uh, at once, I see the thing that I know is beautiful, and I know that Jesus lived out, and I know that Jesus put into practice. And then at the almost in the exact same moment, I just see how many ways that I've fallen short of it. So you're, there's bitter and sweet in all the commandments of God for a Christian. And, and I, think that's, I think that's the response of someone that Jesus is talking about here. So, so if you resist what God says, you may feel bad about yourself. Right? All well and good, but that's a sign that you've actually heard what he said. If you've ever heard God's word and thought, well, that doesn't make me feel good, then that means you heard God's word. That means he is being kind to you. It means that he's actually showing you what your life. The real question is, how do you respond to that? Do you, do you respond to God positively by doing what he's calling you to? Or do you run away and turn and try to forget about this thing that, that hurts so much for you to see about yourself? Here's Lloyd-Jones again. He says, the fool rejects the Sermon on the Mount because it condemns him. The true Christian is entirely different. He does not resent this message. He does not resent the condemnation of the Sermon on the Mount, and he never defends himself against it. When you hear the, the words of God, do you defend yourself or do you yield yourself? Do you defend yourself? Do you make excuses for yourself? Or are you willing to be changed by God? See, a false believer isn't willing to reflect on or, or face these things at all. He wants to quickly forget as fast as he can and instantly give himself some kind of peace of mind. He's looking for some kind of quick peace of mind. Maybe, maybe meditation. Maybe he's looking for something in scripture that will help him meditate and, and change what he's doing and change what he's thinking. And he's just looking for some way to medicate himself in his own heart and mind. A real disciple of Jesus, what happens? They hear the Sermon on the Mount and they take to heart one of its core premises. That ultimately this is an issue of the soul. Life is not about performing. It is not about being seen. It is about seeking the Lord and experiencing an inner transformation by God's grace that shows up in our lives. So at once, the Christian hurts to hear that deep down he's all wrong, but then at the same time, he also hungers and thirsts after righteousness so that he's not content to just stay that way. See, that's, that's what discipleship looks like. Discipleship is not about being a sad sack who's filled with shame. It's about learning to give those things to Jesus so that we can live out what God is working in. Discipleship. True wisdom. It's built on the strong foundation. What does it do? It yearns to know God because we were made to know God, right? That's the purpose of our lives. It's why we were made to know him, to return to him because he's our true home. The hypocrite is, is prayerless. Prayer doesn't do anything for them, and so they don't do it. A disciple of Jesus prays because when he prays, he's speaking to the Father that he loves. He's experiencing communion with God. She's seeing the Lord that she loves. What is your life built on? What's driving you? What's motivating you? Is it God and his word or you and your own ideas? Are you seeking God or are you just seeking his gifts and seeking people's esteem and, 
and, and caring what people think about you and care and think about your life. Maybe you hear all of this and it doesn't actually make you feel any peace. In fact, as you hear it, you kind of think to yourself, nah, I feel more turmoil than I did before. It's possible. I mean, I was talking about that exact thing, right? That God's word might make us feel bad about our own hearts. And, and maybe you have that, right? Jesus actually expects that some are going to have that reaction to him. Um, and the answer he gives is not, well, go away and feel despair. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, his answer is hopeful because Jesus knows that it's not too late. Right? He says, he's saying to you today, hear these words of mine and do them. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to become my disciple. Today is the day to put into practice the things that you have been hearing, maybe for years. Because when the rains fall, you, you have no reason to fear you have no reason to despair because your life will be built on and bolted to an eternal foundation that cannot be shaken. Jesus is speaking of the fool and of the wise man today. And, and we, know, we know from the text that the wise man endures. We know that the, the real disciple of Jesus endures, not for the short season, but for the long season. But if that's you, if you, if you say to yourself, I hear this word, I I trust in Jesus. I, I repent when God shows me my sin. I, I do believe that this is me. I do believe my life is built on that foundation. One of the things that you also see in this passage is that this shouldn't lead to pride. It shouldn't lead to an elevated sense of self because the Christian is, is made of sterner stuff, but not because, not because he's great and not because he's strong, but because of the one that his life is anchored to. Right? The one his life is anchored to is great. The one that he, his life is anchored to is strong. The one that his life is built upon is great. The one his life is built upon is strong. So his sense of self is not anchored in him. It's anchored in Jesus. And that's what God wants us to have today. He wants our foundation to be Christ and not us. Christ and not ourselves. Christ and not our feelings. Christ and not our intuition. Instead, he says, everything about you that matters, everything about your life that is going to stand when the storm comes is Christ and not you. He's calling us to truly follow him from the heart. The question today is, will we answer that call? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what you say here today is serious. It is deadly serious. But these are also gracious words because they mean that we haven't yet lost the opportunity either to be built up in our faith or in some cases to trust in your son, maybe even for the first time. I pray for everyone hearing these words that you would give them the application that is true of their own souls. Give faith to those who do not yet have it, and strengthen the faith of those who badly need it. In either case, would you make us doers of the word so that when the rains and storms come, the building of our life would endure. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.